You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker, Moritz Siebert, and I, Niels Kasselblasen, are back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series, which is our weekly ongoing and quite raw exploration of the world of rule-based investing and where we also do our best to answer your questions. As usual, let me start by saying good morning to you, Jerry, and good afternoon to you, Moritz. Hello, good morning and good afternoon. Yes, good morning. <laughs> now, I think... Um, you know, we see that the bonds played a key role again uh, this week when it comes to perhaps influence on performance. We'll see that uh, when we do our review. Um, but from a pure percentage move point of view within the markets that I track, at least, the VIX uh, was the big winner this week with a 12% up move. A sign, of course, that we are seeing some increased uncertainty in the world heading into the week of another Brexit uh, vote, of course. Um, but commodities like Lean Hawks, gasoline also had decent up moves. And on the downside, I noticed platinum, wheat, and the Russell 2000 took the uh, sort of the bottom three spots. So with that in mind, why don't we jump straight into it as usual and see how the week panned out, Moritz. Um, I know you uh, were both managing your portfolio, but you're also enjoying a little bit of uh, skiing. So uh, how did that combination go for you? Yeah, I had a great week on many fronts. Uh, so I've been, been out a week skiing, refreshed my mind, enjoyed that. That was great. And um, especially the combination with a very strong positive week in my portfolio uh, is something that I enjoyed. So um, I think I made just a bit more than 5% this past week, 5.5. Um, that being said, so, you know, it's, uh, I was really like craving for that but still year to date is down 10 percent, even though the last week was was up more than five and um most of that most of that pnl came from the currencies um the, you know being long the dollar against the euro the aussie dollar the canadian dollar the yen the swiss franc all of that was very good um made money from some of the long bond positions especially in canada and canada uh uk so the long guilds long boons in germany U.S. bonds, I think, were kind of flat. Um, then a bit of money from short gold and short silver positions, believe it or not. It's one of those positions which, you know, I didn't expect to have on a couple of weeks back, but uh, but now I have a small short position in those markets and, you know, made some money. Um, and equities and, and energy is about, about flat. Uh, not that much going on there for me this week. But what can I say? Summing it up, great week. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was kind of um, a little bit ironic that after last week where we had to debate this article where trend following was failing and then, uh, you know, one week later we have one of the strongest weeks we've had for the for the industry uh, in, in a very long time. Uh, of course, it doesn't really mean anything, but um, I thought it was a little bit ironic. Um, strong week for us as well, uh, like you said, uh, Moritz. Um, for us, I would say currencies and uh, European fixed income were the big winners, uh, without a doubt. Um, but also, I mean, nice gains uh, in, in general in, in commodities, uh, maybe with the exception of um, metals, uh, 
uh, didn't do so well in gold, silver, and copper. Small negatives there, but uh, you know, very strong performance overall. Nice to see. Um, Theme-wise, don't think much changed for us um, because obviously when trends kick in, um, we obviously uh, don't really make a lot of changes in the portfolio. We just stay with the trends. Um, so I think that was the kind of the theme that I picked up um, this week. Um, yeah. And what about you, Jerry? How was, how was your week? Good week. Um, definitely rewarded for long dollar and being patient and uh, staying short the currencies, uh, grains, short canola, and uh, all the wheat, corn, and beans helped a bit. Uh, Palladium is still in an uptrend. Emissions still in an uptrend. Uh, all my single stocks, you know, had a uh, flat to down, but no problem. They're still near the highs and definitely in the system is keeping us in gear with uh, the major trend. So I think that the big issue for me is just continuing to listen to uh, probably a little bit of negativity on the dollar it's over the months and thinking, oh, darn. And uh, so it's good to see that uh, I may be wrong, but it seemed to me that people were negative on the dollar. But it's good to see that uh, the rates around the world are going lower, especially over non-US, so I guess that helps our, our positions. Yeah, definitely. Really, really nice to uh, to be having something positive to share when, when it comes to uh, when it comes to performance. So we'll see how it all evolves. The month is still very young, so lots of things can happen in the next twenty days or so. Um, so good week for the markets. Um, does that translate into? Uh, lots of activity in the Twitter world, or maybe not so much. I mean, we were talking about before we went on air, sort of any big articles or anything that we had seen. Um, but uh, as you rightly said, uh, if you did see it, Jerry, it would be in your tweet. So why don't we look at those and see what what caught your attention? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty focused on the trend following and the systematic trading Unlike most people, so uh, the news doesn't really affect what's going on. I thought it was kind of interesting. I remembered back uh, you said what you said. You made me think of something a f few seconds ago when you said uh, it's hard to. We don't know how the month is going to turn out, and uh, my brain just clicked and said, "Month." Oh my gosh! And I remember <laughs> when I first started Chesapeake in 1988, and then I'm like um, <clears throat> talking to people about monthly performance. I'm I'm an accountant, so I'm doing my own performance tables, monthly performance tables, and I'm like, monthly? These people are looking at this on a monthly basis? That's kind of crazy because I just would look at, you know, yearly or no no, no shorter term than yearly before I got involved with uh, investors who, well, you know, actually they're looking at it daily, aren't they? So just kind of funny how uh, your patience, your tolerance uh, changes. You, you, get, you get changed by other people. Yeah, I know. I agree. I mean, the whole world has become so short-term, and and to a large extent, I think that certainly what I uh, when I listen to different podcasts, and I remember one a few years back, and and how he explained the enormous impact that the you know uh, the the internet has had in terms of time. So our whole time frame has shifted to become much shorter term now because everything is more or less instant, and it's happened a few times. Uh, in in the history of the world, I guess you know the 
uh, invention of the telephone suddenly made certain things much quicker than sending a letter and things like that. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, suddenly we're sitting here and talking about, oh, let's hope we have a good month. But you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not really that relevant. Um, maybe not even if we have a good year, if we are all thinking like investors should do, and that is, you know, what is my portfolio going to look like in 10 years or in 20 years or in 30 years based on the allocation I have right now? Is this a good way of of uh, of um, investing. So yeah, and just and thankfully uh, at the same time, all of the things you said I think are true as well. We're trading longer term than we ever have. So thankfully, <laughs> this news is not good news. Uh, it's not profitable news for most traders to follow these daily, intraday, weekly swings, crazy swings in prices that uh, cause us anxiety because our P and L, but. Uh, Little seem to have no impact on uh, long-term performance, given that you can ignore most of them, because the long-term, the longer-term you are, the more successful, in my opinion, at least. So that's kind of fun and funny. That uh, it doesn't help, but we we get it, but we don't. We need to uh, ignore it. Do you think that's Do you think that's a consequence actually of? If, I mean, it's very interesting in what you say because on our side, I would say we probably become even longer term as well, even though we have this, uh, you know, flexibility with the, within our model. But do you actually think that maybe that is uh, kind of a a consequence of what's happened in in the news flows in the markets and how they react? That actually has become even more profitable, which is not that intuitive but it's you know that it's become more profitable to be even longer term so you can so you can ignore more of the noise that we we now have to deal with well i'd say that it's uh it's more like that uh, being shorter term is not profitable right i don't think we're more profitable than we've ever been but shorter term is worse than it's ever been and you know, a lot of people will quote uh, stock market people who look at historical stock returns will say, "Well, this just proves to be long term. You're rewarded for being long term." And so we don't do it that way. We use our systems, entries, exits, breakouts, and uh, things like that. So we don't really say it pays to be long term uh, unless the system and the computer tells me it pays to be long term. So. That's why we do it, because historically, uh, in over the past 10 or 15 years, there has been more noise that we need to uh, ignore. And because everyone is sort of shorter term, clients especially, and we're sort of trained to be short term by the clients in the ex expectations, then we do get rewarded for not being short term in our trading. And so the computer, I think, will continue to be proved correctly. If you're strong enough to hang in there and not get knocked out of a good trend, but then you got to figure out when you should get knocked out. So that's what we're paid to do. <laughs> sure, sure, true. Have you become uh, longer term as well, Moritz, in, in the last few years, or has that not changed a lot? Maybe a bit, um, but really only a bit. I've been been relatively uh, long term the trading approach for for quite some time, um, but really, you know, driven by stats, looking at the systems and how they work and um, how to best trade them. Just uh, you know, couldn't get the uh, the P and L done in the short time frames. I mean, I'd love to be shorter term. Um, I think you know, just like Jerry said, clients would love us to be shorter term, but 
um, I'm, you know, my trading systems aren't set up for that. So I find it better for me to trade in the longer term timeframes um, and accept the large drawdowns, the rougher P&L patch, um, but, you know, hopefully greater rewards at the end of that journey. It's funny, it, it reminds me, I know we have to get to the Twitter feed, but let's just uh, talk about this uh, a little bit longer. It's, it's so interesting because I was noticed, I was sort of um, surfing around YouTube yesterday. I was looking at some of the other uh, channels that have that are related to what we do, sort of investing and trading. And of course, our ambition with the help of our listeners is to have a really big presence on, on these uh, various channels with you know hundreds of thousands of followers, hopefully one day. But... Um, but some of these channels that actually have big followings, um, and I won't name uh, this particular gentleman, but um, and he probably does produce, I'm sure, some some good stuff out there. But this particular video that I ran into, it was all about how just taking your profit kind of almost as soon as it was there, how that was the right thing to do and that kind of nobody has ever got hurt from taking a profit and 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 and, and it was kind of complete reverse of what we talk about and what we believe in. Um, and and of course, he never talked about what are you going to do with the loser, right? So it's kind of, yeah, make make sure you take your profits really quickly and when they're there and all of that. But didn't really talk much about what are you going to do with the losers, and we know that that's that's exactly where the problems arise. So, but it's just interesting to see how, um, yeah, how different the world views uh, how to invest and 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 so on and so forth. Anyway, that was a long intro to uh, uh, top tweets of the week from Jerry. So, apologize, uh, Jerry, if we got off track here. Oh no, uh, we could keep going. This is good stuff. <laughs> um, Equally as good as anything I've got on Twitter, I'm sure. Um, uh, one of the tweets that stood out this week, I think it's from Druckenmiller again. Some of these <clears throat> really famous guys keep popping up slightly different tweets, uh, quotes and articles and things like that. So um, I'm not going to apologize. It gets a lot of, it's good stuff. Um, but this one is, it's hard to bet big when you're winning. And it's really hard to buy a stock that gaps up 15%. But this is what winners do. It takes courage to be a pig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true, isn't it? It's the famous one. And, and 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 in a sense, well, this is the funny thing, right? Because I think a lot of people have been taught, you know, buy low, sell high. And of course, as trend followers, we do exactly the opposite. Um, which, by the way, reminds me of this little clip from um, Seinfeld where George Costanza is doing the exact opposite and it works really well for him, certainly. <laughs> um, but that's a different story. Um, but but I think it is true. I mean, you know, as human beings, it is so hard to buy something that has just gone up by 20%, right? Um, it's much easier if you truly believe in... In, in things to, to buy something cheap, like we do when we go and buy our groceries. If something goes on sale, 50% down, we'll probably buy twice as much. But if a stock falls, you know, 50%, we, we might get nervous. Um, yeah, so oh, anyways. There, there are people out there who do buy value and Sure, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that is a quote from the internet as well. A lot of the people who spend too much time on blogging and stuff, they have some quote that's like, uh, investing is the only game in town where if the price goes down, people don't want to buy or they sell. Right. And so right, right, seemingly right. Uh, very <clears throat> uh, profound, but 
not. And it gets back, I think, to what you were saying a minute ago about different opinions on t- you know, taking profits and it never talks about losing and don't let this profit get away. Uh, this ties right in with what uh, <clears throat> I was thinking, and that is that where's your starting point? Where are you starting? Are you starting from, here's a list of things I really don't like. You know, who wants to buy a gap up of 15%? And who wants to let a small profit turn into a loss, a large profit turn into a small profit? No one. So let's start with my list. Now let's figure out what we're going to do. Or do we start with analyzing uh, the markets and with a systematic approach that allows us to look at numbers and something that might be replicable going forward and then say, oh, success, we have something here, longs and shorts, different markets, breakouts, moving averages, et cetera. Now let's analyze what this means. Oh my God, we're taking losses 60% of the time. Oh gracious, small profits are turning into losses. I'm buying 15% gaps. Oh well, I accept it because it makes money. And maybe, just maybe, that might be one of the keys to investing, which is if I don't like it, it doesn't sit well with me, that I might be on to something that's sustainable. Yeah, true. One of the things I was following is um, in this past week or the the last fortnight, there was a lot of news about uh, CVS, the U.S. um, pharmacy store. Which, you know, I think half in price, I'm not exactly sure what the numbers are, but, you know, looked at the chart and it's, it's just down, 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 down. Then it has that gap down and, you know, looking at the chart, I mean, I'm not trading the single stocks, but, you know, for a trend following trader, you'd already be short that stock. Um, and, you know, for, for quite some time. So you'd be holding on to that short position, but it had that gap down. And it's kind of like, you know, as difficult as buying the gap up, if it has that gap down, do you want to be selling that stock? And, you know, sure, it's very difficult, but, you know, I saw the news then come up. Well, you know, CVS now has a PE of six or seven and it's deep value and um, you have to buy it. And then, you know, people rush in and they buy it. I read it on Bloomberg, you know, that many people going in and having an opinion on on the future um price move or the immediate upcoming price move of that stock and they buy and boom, there you go. The next two days, it's minus four and minus three. So it is, it is what you say, Jerry, those taking those trades are very, very hard, very uncomfortable to, to do that, but they do make money. And this is what it is about. It is not, you know, having an opinion on CVS or, you know, any of those stocks. I, I absolutely know nothing about them, but you know, I can position myself with trades that have a good expectancy of making money. And most of the time, the tough, painful trades are those that make the most money. But but isn't the challenge if, you know, in, in, in fairness that our approach hasn't been that profitable for a period of time? You know, I'm not saying it's, it's there aren't strategies have, that have done worse, but compared to something that has done simple things, almost like you know, just selling options or other strategies that have kind of been built around this stability that we've seen more or less in the last few years and where, you know, you have these, you know, relatively steady returns and, and all of those things, you know. So even though I think we can all agree that all the components, all the ingredients of trend following, you know, is logical, it's common sense and 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 most people would probably say yeah i mean you know that's that's the right thing to do 
But then when you look at the return stream, they much the 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 the, the desire for that steady return stream, even though it's not maybe not permanent, and maybe we're just in a period right now where we've had ten years where that particular strategy or those strategies have worked and ours have been struggling a little bit and the next 20 years might be completely different but right now that seems to be much more driving the decisions of investors at least you know could be a reason why they're having more fun in the acid racing um, arena yes that's right uh, it reminds me of a couple of research projects we did over the years one was we wanted to uh analyze spacing our trades out by uh, one ATR. So we said, okay, what if we space them out by one ATR? And they miswrote the code and it came back wonderful, but we figured out the code was uh, incorrect, that it was not spreading the trades out by one ATR. It was, you had to, you could only buy on gaps of one ATR. Wow. Made way more money. So these gaps, as hard as they are, oh, darn, I could have bought it yesterday on the close for uh, one ATR less. Uh, you know, this is sort of painful to get this trade on and chase it maybe. It's hard to buy. It keeps going up. And now it's maybe two ATRs. Oh, you know, this is actually a good sign. And then we wrote another study where we wanted, because I had early on had uh, learned from uh, people who had, lots of knowledge on working on the floor and then there was a big emphasis on execution and uh traders would just hate to turtles and lots of people you know all the traders they hate to buy the high of the day so we said okay then let's try to buy the high of the day let's try to come up with some uh, idea that would put us in a high likelihood of buying the high of the day and this added about 10 percent to the average trade and you can't even buy the high of the day because you're trying to buy it, but it, maybe it keeps going. And so you didn't really buy it. And so all of these, um, putting yourself in a situation where you're trying to, to code a, a, um, an idea that maybe no one really wants, a perverse idea that could not possibly be good for your mental well-being, it actually does have a tendency to, to work pretty well. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. Good. What else? Um... Got some traction this week in the uh, Twitter sphere. A uh, very similar quote. Um, I can't remember who this one's from, but uh, one of the most unique and valuable skills in investing is not minding what happens, remaining dispassionate about what people think of you or about the noise around you during the process gives one a big advantage. And it's sort of built into trend following, hopefully. Hmm. Yeah. Built into systematic. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Exactly. Systematic. Most of the people I talk to, like on Twitter, who I like and I have a relationship with, I mean, I don't really know them, so it's a Twitter relationship. Uh, you know, they're smart, fun, and uh, insightful. Like it's the last sentence, you know, of the tweet. I can't go there because they're kind of fundamental, and they just, you know, kind of from a trend and systematic point of view. I'm with you. I'm with you. Darn. <laughs> so we just have this worldview, you know, wall between us about risk or predictions uh, and systems. And, but it's still very profitable to learn from others who are not quite where we are because we can certainly keep learning. And, you know, who says we're, we think we're right, but maybe we're not. And a lot of smart people out there uh, who believe in very, some of this principles that we believe in but are not quite with us yeah no no i mean as and we were talking about again before we got on air that 
when we see people talk about things, the three of us will have different, um, you know, we, we, we see these interviews differently. I mean, um, you mentioned, Jerry, that you, you, you don't care much for people who spend a lot of time making predictions, right? Um, because that's your mindset. I don't mind it so much. I think it's interesting, um, but it is what it is. It's an educated guess. Um, and if you start listening to, to too many people making educated guess, you get all confused. So, um, but I'm probably less extreme in that kind of, uh, you know, um, how I receive that kind of information. Um, but you, you obviously see most things through the trend following lens, uh, exclusively, which is great. I get bored easily. <laughs> <laughs> what else uh, should we talk about? There's got quite a few questions. So, so, uh, hang in there, uh, listeners. We've got, uh, great questions, uh, uh, this week from many different Listeners, um, and by the way, let me do a little plug for that. Um, we love these questions that you're sending in. We, we're so grateful for that, um, that you take time to uh, write to us and express your thoughts. And, and obviously, um, the questions often tell us a little bit about where your um, challenges might be with trend following uh, or systematic trading. So keep keep sending them in to info at toptradersonplug.com and we do our best to try and get them done the same week as, as we receive them. But sometimes if we have a lot, we will push it a, a week. But um, anyways, back to you, Jerry. So let's do a couple more from Howard Marks. Um, I think he'd be very surprised that he ends up on a systematic trend-following podcast. Um, <laughs> I think he doesn't care for momentum, but... Uh, just has a lot of wisdom that fits into our overall uh, view. Mm -hmm. um, so the first one is there's no such thing as a market. All there is is people with feelings. Emotions get people to buy at the top. The top is reached when the last potential buyer has bought and sell at the bottom until the last person who's going to panic out does so. Yeah. And then I'll continue. We can talk about both together. There are no physical laws at work in investing. The future is uncertain and vague and random, and psychology dominates. There are no laws. There are only tendencies. And so I think that is sort of, uh, you know, it's this idea that uh, trend and following prices can work. Trends can go further. You don't have enough money, something like that. You don't have enough money to withstand a trend. You could be right, but uh, the market will get all your money and then reverse. So, uh, and I think he even says something like, it's not, you don't need to know what's going to happen next. You need to figure out how people are going to react to what happens next. We're all banking on this whole idea of psychology and the frailty and biases of uh, people to continue. Which, of course, makes it even more ironic that most of the time when, 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 when you watch financial news media, it's people telling you what's going to happen next, right? But nobody knows. And and of course, what we as trend followers have long come to realize is that that's not really the interesting part. The interesting part is what, how does the market react in terms of price? So just follow the price because all the information we need is is already caught um, within the price. Um, but it's in a sense, people who obviously like hard marks who can get a lot of airtime and so on and so forth. I mean, it's nice to see, even though they may not, invest like we do. But some of the core concepts of what he's saying, if people agree with it, and if they start to pay more attention to it, maybe at one point they will gravitate also to include sort of the trend following part um, within their portfolio, um, which would be great. What about you, um, 
Moritz, you and I saw Howard Marks, of course, live. I think you saw him as well, right, in Miami? Yes, I did. We were there together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think he's got a lot of wisdom. Um, Love listening to him, everything he writes. Actually, I uh, printed out some of the memos uh, that he wrote for the past 20 years or even more than 20 years. And, um, you know, it's one of those things. You know, once a year you get the uh, the Warren Buffett Berkshire letter, letter and uh, I print that out and read it, even though, you know, it's not about systematic, it's not about trend following, but just, you know, reading things written by him, you know, I always feel that, you know, that's a good opportunity to find something and learn something. So I do that, and I've never really done that with um, Howard Marks's um, memos. And so um, prior to going on vacation, I, um, you know, randomly printed... 10 or 15 out and um, started reading through them. They're about, you know, between six and sometimes 15 pages. So it's, you know, about 30 minute read, say on average, maybe 20, 30 minute read. And I really enjoyed them. You know, it's absolutely not about momentum. It's just about common sense in markets and investing. And so, you know, kind of like gives you a uh, different perspective on things. And He's, um, you know, a real clever guy. So, uh, good man. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, Buffett has been quoted, I think, uh, of saying that uh, Howard Marx's uh, memos are the first thing that he reads when they are published. So, um, yeah, so it seems like we're all reading the same stuff, so to speak, but we have very different ways of implementing our our investments, uh, for sure. Anything uh, else, Jerry, you want to highlight today? I think... We've gone over the best, so let's move on to okay. these great questions. All righty, good stuff. Okay, so here is one that we pushed. This is from uh, Antonio. We pushed it over from last week. Um, so, um, okay, let me um, try and get that right. So losing trades in line with the system are good trades because the manager was disciplined and stuck to the system. This assumes in trend following's case that the system is correct. Volatility targeting, position sizing is correct. The amount of diversification is correct. And the time frame is correct. And there in air quotes, correct is defined as a profitable or uptrending uh, trend following equity curve over a reasonable time frame. Reasonable is within a financial lifetime and more practical for me and my firm's clients within a retirement lifetime. This, this leads me to ask, when is trend following wrong? Or is it always right depending on the time frame, position size, and or diversification? And if time frame, volatility targeting, positioning size, and diversification dependent, how does one quantify to objectively determine when a time frame is wrong? An amount of diversification inadequate or vol targeting too large, especially if back-tested drawdowns, are irrelevant. I thought that was an interesting question. Thanks for sending that in, Antonio. Would love to hear your thoughts um, about some of the, the... I mean, I guess the bottom line is that with trend following, since we're not, you know, as we're not predicting anything, you often hear trend followers say, we're never wrong because we're not trying to predict anything. Um, but I guess what Antonio is asking is, how do we how do we measure if something and i guess this must be system dependent antonio it can't be for the whole straight it must be how do you kind of realize whether your own model um 
is not quote unquote um correct anymore are you you know so anyway what are your uh, what are your thoughts jerry and, and moritz about this um, question which is obviously from an investor point of view incredibly relevant um but it would be relevant with all investment strategies not just trend following how do you know if something's broken would be great to have a um <clears throat> to have like a red light um flaring up on my screen what, you know, if if a system is truly broken and tells me definitively this is now the time to stop trading the system it no longer works well that's um that's not reality i think you know finding out and determining whether a system is broken and it makes no more sense to continue trading it really is down to the observer and your experience with that system over many years um, your experience in the markets with markets with different periods in trading um, all of that i think plays a role um, so I, i i don't think none of us has a you know black or white answer as to this is now the time to stop trading the system no longer works um, you know you could say that with the recent performance and you know we're all in drawdown certainly i'm in a drawdown maybe this is a time to worry maybe this is a time to uh, look at the system in a different way and come to the conclusion that it's no longer working i you know i, I don't do that um of course i i monitor things and um i want to stay involved and you know on top of things uh watch out for you know unintended behavior so to say but as long as i don't see that and observe that in my system and as long as things go as you know i expect them to go given you know how i designed that system um there's really no job for me to switch it off you know i i need to let it run i've traded for so many years i've experienced it with different time frames like i said earlier it became a bit longer term but not so much you know you can look at many many different time frames many different ways of detecting entries and you know coming out with exits and you find this map or at least you know i found this map where you you know see that you know this is where things work you know not too long term not too short term kind of like in the middle um but it's fairly robust there and do that over all those markets long and short with all that diversification um and so really for me it's just um i go with it until and this is just me my personal merits until i'm into either such a long 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 super long drawdown or i experience things in the markets which for whatever reason my system doesn't cope with you know, don't expect that anytime soon but you know never say never i just don't know none of us knows the future but until that shows up i uh continue trading it so it is i think impossible to give a um a clear answer to that question and i'm sure that both you and niels uh, uh, jerry and niels you'll have your own uh, opinions on that and we were dealt with the same deck of cards um even if we traded the exact same system three of us we would probably come to the if it ever came to the point where we had to make the decision to stopping trading the system to stop trading the system every one of us would do that at a different point in time given our experiences our risk tolerances you know 
those type of things. It's it's subjective. Yeah. What do you think, uh, Jerry? Yeah, I wonder. Um, you know, two thousand eight in the lost decade. I wonder if that is going to be held up to the same scrutiny of systematic traders. Uh, and you know, for us, we would just not invest if the return was around 8% with a 50 plus percent drawdown. I think that is just, okay, I'm not going to really do that. I'll do it in such small quantities that I'll buy bonds or <clears throat> money market funds. Uh, so I think that's probably uh, what I would say as well is that, okay, maximum diversification in longs and shorts, currencies, commodities, bonds, stocks, systematic price only does not work. And um, it hasn't worked, let's just say, it, it, it doesn't work well for another 10 years. So then I'm, okay, I'll say, okay, then I'm not going to invest. The alternatives of stocks only or one sector only, long only, don't touch it, no. That's not acceptable from a risk manager point of view. I attempted to navigate the world with uh, a much more sane approach, and it stopped working. So... I'll do nothing. I think that's probably where I would head. But then in analyzing the systems themselves, I've said before, you know, I would just look back and see um, in a period where there were sufficient trends, which we haven't really seen very many long trends that dominate our performance over 20 or 30 years. Um, how did I handle those trends? Did I Was I knocked out? Was I frequently getting knocked out of the big trends? We had them, but I was a little too short term. Then I would adjust my parameter. Then uh, <clears throat> if we had them and I did stay in them and made money, uh, but I gave almost all the profit back before I was able to get out. Um, I think those two issues are what I'm looking at every day, trade by trade, and uh, to see it, do I have system failure that I need to and it could just be, once again, possible that there is no solution. You need to consider not trading in this style, in this way. Uh, <clears throat> so I think that's the way I would look at look at the markets and, and on a trade. But we haven't had those big trends. So I think the jury's out. Yeah. I might take a little bit of an extreme um, stance on this one. Because I think as long as we're not talking about short-term trend following, because I do think, as we talked about earlier, that my market structure can change to some degree and maybe has changed, uh, and technology can have an impact where you kind of lose your edge in that sense. So if, as long as we're just talking about medium to long-term trend following, I would say to your question, Antonio, that I wonder if we are, you know, Perhaps we will never be wrong. And so I want to clarify what I mean by that. Firstly, um, I think trend following uh, as we do it has an inbuilt self-correcting mechanism. Just the way the models work, they are self-correcting. And in my view, it's not about being right or wrong. It's not really what I'm looking for I'm looking for whether or not we're taking the most accurate decision or our models are taking the most accurate decision based on the data it's given. So, um, and, 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 and of course, this doesn't mean that the strategy will always be profitable. I think the, these are two different things because clearly 
you can go through a period of time, um, as both Moritz and, and, and Jerry talked about, where um, performance is not great, but as long as that's based on the fact that there has not been enough longer-term trends to capture, I don't think that there's anything wrong with the approach. It's just the way the market environment um, has been for a certain period of time. And I, so, so the, I guess the premise for all of this, and why, as long as this is true, then I don't think um, we have to worry about trend following um, not working or being wrong. But the premise is that the markets have to be free, um, and um, and and also human behavior doesn't change suddenly. So as long as we believe that you know higher prices attract buyers and lower prices attract attract sellers and how things generally work, as long as we believe that nature can influence commodity markets that is uncontrollable, um, you know, by by uh, authorities, to, you know, as long as they're free and all of that, I actually don't think trend following will ever be wrong. But it won't be profitable all the time, um, and 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 the thing about that, you know, position sizing and and time frame and all of those things, they will shift, which is why neither Moritz, Jerry, or we um, use one time frame. We use several of them because we know that one will never be right all the time. Rarely is so. So I. I so it's an extreme view, in a sense, um, to, uh, that that oh you can't you know. So it's not that I won't admit that trend following doesn't work all the time, but I don't think you can say um, you know when are you wrong. I don't think we are um, per se in in when, when you apply the the strategy. And another thing that I thought of is that uh, when you buy into the systematic approach that's something that you sort of implicitly are saying. It's never wrong. In other words, I'm not going to override it. it uh, mm. It's not wrong in the traditional, it's it's frequently wrong in the traditional sense. It's 60% right. losing trades. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't get out at the top. It doesn't take buy bargains. So, uh, and, and one must look at the history, years and years worth of trades and performance <clears throat> and say, only after that, uh, only after applying the average, the best uh, average parameters to all the markets, the same parameters, I'm trading crude based upon uh, parameters that performed pretty well in every other market, maybe not in crude. And so it's so wrong in that sense. But uh, when you, in order for you to profit from systematic and trend, you must say it's not wrong. It it's not it's not an appropriate. It's an it's uh, not a question that's appropriate in the sense that uh, I'm looking at five or ten years worth of data, all the different markets, and a net performance, and it and it performed pretty well, risk adjusted. I don't think is it right or is it wrong. It makes a lot of sense. I think people hear us say things like that, and they go off and like, oh my god, how can they say that? We're not, it's subtle and it's, we're not being uh, as clear as we should be. And of course, a lot of this comes back to actually a podcast I, I listened recently and I hope we can bring on uh, this uh, amazing person uh, onto our podcast one day and the person I'm talking about is is Annie Duke who has recently written a book about decision making. Uh, she is, for those who don't know, a 20-year incredibly successful poker player um, but has trained or talked to traders about making decisions. And her point is that often 
when we look whether a decision is right or wrong, we look at the outcome. But it doesn't mean that the, just because we had a bad, a bad outcome doesn't mean the decision was right. I mean, for example, you can have you can go over a green light in your car and still get hit by another car. Doesn't mean that the decision to drive when the light was green was was bad. But you can also you can also reverse. You can also go over a red run a red light and you may not have no accident. Doesn't mean that that decision was right. And so. I think what we try to do is just to look at not whether it was a good outcome or bad outcome in terms of was decision right or wrong. What we're trying to do is to say, did we take the accurate decision or did our models take the accurate decision based on how the markets behaved? What the outcome is, that's a different story. Did we make uh, the right, I wouldn't say how the markets behave, but as the system dictated. Yeah, yeah, but based on the data, that's what I meant. Yeah, based upon the historical 20, 30-year yeah. backtest, yeah. which is, to some people, so irrelevant, and yet it's the cornerstone of what we think our success is all about. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks again, Antonio, for the question. Great question. Good uh, topic to, to talk about, uh, which I'm sure many people um, think about from time to time. Um, then we have a question from Seth. Um, he says, and it's kind of a follow-up from a question I think Seth had last week, and he says, I'd be also be interested to hear how Jerry Parker diversifies his single stock portfolio, whether by industry group, uh, geography, or in some other way. So that's probably more a question for you, Jerry, than for Moritz and me. I feel like I've answered this a million times. Uh, <clears throat> well, I... You may have. You may have. But Seth, of course, could have missed your answer. Yes, so, yes. Uh, And I, hopefully so I'll have a better one. <laughs> uh, this time, but uh, I, th- I know the last time we were looking at all of this, we we just were ca- always cognizant whenever we do things like this of uh, too much precision, overfitting, optimization. Uh, so be careful with that. Um, the stocks are very uncorrelated until they all go to one. February last February late last year or October or whatever it was. That is out of my mind. I have a mental block as to when all that happened. But uh, February, I don't because that's a traumatic block there. But uh, so, you know, one or two from each industry group. We want diversification. We want liquidity. So maybe I go through and just uh, sort based on liquidity that I need for my portfolio, longs and shorts. There's this issue with uh, shorting stocks or that, um, and even shorting stocks is is a single stock future. Uh, You need to pay attention to the short interest and float and things like that. So uh, then I just um, start building my portfolio, looking at correlations. So hopefully I end up with two or three from each of the main 10 sectors or subsectors or industries. And then the correlation, uh, historical correlation of the past few years is lower, you know, low, lowish, 40, 50, 60%, something like that. So not that scientific, uh, not that overfitted and precise, uh, but much better than uh, indices. Great. Thank you. I hope that helped. Uh... Answer your question, Seth. Um, the next one is more of a comment I just want to give to uh, Dave, who wrote uh, an email to Moritz. Um, and Dave, you suggested a little bit about whether we 
could build some specific trend following systems that we could talk about uh, that had different speeds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and um, as much as I would love to to go into even more details than what we do about our specific systems, um, I just think time doesn't permit us to to do exactly that. I think it's easier for us, Dave, if we just talk about what Jerry has been up to and Moritz and 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 roughly where we are uh, at done in terms of uh, what's going on in the portfolios and performance wise. But appreciate the uh, suggestion um, and hopefully you'll uh, keep asking uh, questions uh, as we go along. Um, Carlos, Carlos writes in with a few questions. I think maybe could be predominantly uh, to Jerry. We'll see. Um, and and uh, Carlos also writes that he's been f- uh, trend following himself for the last few years, uh, which is great. So here are the questions. Uh, how does Jerry manage to trade single stock futures? When I check them uh, with my broker, Interactive Brokers, there is no liquidity. So is there some basic thing I don't understand yet about the security? So maybe kind of where you source or how to best source single stocks. Um, The second question is, what's your opinion on using alternative data for position sizing and signal generation like carry term structure, commitment of traders report? And the final question is, what's your opinion on adjusting position sizes by momentum um, or by other factors, pyramiding, etc. I adjust position sizes based on volatility and correlation, but haven't seen much gain from adjusting based on momentum, as the turnover of my system is also significantly in- as my turnover of my system also significantly increases. Um, but others do uh, it very successfully. So three great questions. Uh, thanks, Carlos. Um, Jerry, why don't you start with in terms of you know, where are good places to even get liquidity in the single stock market? Well, like I said, I stick with um, <clears throat> the very liquid uh, markets, and I think there is some liquidity in those markets. Um, not a market order, but maybe a limit order. I'm mm-hmm. not sure about IB. I think at a place like IB, um, there's less reason to do a single stock future. It's a financing tool. There's lots of portfolio margining and margin in general at IB and other places. So rejecting, I hear this a lot and I don't understand uh, why single stock futures are a mystery and yet single stocks are not. It's a financing tool to throw in your FCM account. I suppose if you don't want to open up a stock account. And then uh, for a larger trader, there is more of a cash to a futures mechanism where one can do the cat do the trade in the cash. You can buy IBM on uh, the New York Stock Exchange, and then the broker or market maker will turn it into a future uh, by adjusting the <clears throat> chart. You know, putting it into a future and, and charging you a little bit more to for that financing. So it's all very doable. Uh, you can figure it out. So what you're saying is that actually it may be right that as a single stock futures. In a in a in an online futures uh, platform, you may not see a lot of volume, but once you talk to people who, you know, are more in 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 the in the in the single stocks world, but can also, you know, do the derivative of it. Um, actually, that's where the real kind of volume is. I think so, and we all kind of over the years have done the same thing in currencies. 
Um, in an illiquid market, I don't know, this is sort of a, I've seen situations where the futures were illiquid, um, a trade I did many years ago in the Aussie dollar, in, I was pretty large trader, and if you just put a bid out there, for instance, you'll attract liquidity. Give it a couple of minutes and the banks will come in and make a decent market. So something can kind of look illiquid if you're, all you know is a market order. But if you are in an illiquid market and you throw some bait out there, the fish may come. Uh, don't don't go with that. But just as an FYI, um, it's up to your you being a trader, people being traders. Uh, figure this stuff out, the mechanics of how things work. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, the other questions were a little bit about, um, you know, do we use any other things to size positions like carry term structure or traders reports, commitment of traders reports. And then there was a little bit about adjustment of um, position size. I don't know if you want to start uh, more on this and then we can all chime in on all the points uh, as well, but just uh, to keep your voice moist. <laughs> Um, so alternative data, um, it is price only, uh, for me, uh, one of the things that, um, I've researched and, and just let me say that I'm, I'm not looking at the, uh, the COT reports, uh, or any of that, um, fundamental data coming in to determine how much I should risk or whether I should be in a trade or out of a trade. I, I don't do that, but, um, um, I've done research and like the results of looking at the term structure in some of the commodity markets. And um, I did find a relationship there that, uh, you know, depending on, on the shape of the term structure, if it's in backwardation or contango, certain positions may be more, um, you know, fruitful than, than others. So, for instance, if you have a backwardated market, um, meaning that the front end of the front end of the curve is trading higher than the back end of the curve, then it tends to support a long position in that market. But I would never just take on a long position only because the market is backwardated, right? But that is where you know things I've looked into and where I've liked the results. But you know it is still just price only because you know the shape of the futures curve is just you know the distribution of prices in the future so um new th I'm, I'm using nothing else but that yeah i mean i think from from our point of view i i agree with moritz i mean i think there are things you can do at the edge so to speak to maybe um dial your exposure um slightly better than just outright um just buying it based on 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 uh, trends, uh, sort of the strength of of each individual uh, trend. But I do think, but I and 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 I, and I think you know some you know definitely there are managers who 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 makes uh, takes advantage of that. I do think the the improvement is relatively marginal. I don't think it's going to suddenly uh, change things. I think still the the basic uh, system or, or trend following approach is by far the most important. But but I think when it comes to position sizing, I think there's a couple of things you can do to improve, as you suggest. I mean, there are obviously carry factors and term structures that that is relevant uh, to that. And let me just tackle maybe the last question you had, and then Jerry and Moritz can can chime in. And that's you know, in terms of of adjusting position sizes um, based on volatility and correlation, um, it's something that 
if you've heard us discuss this topic uh, in uh, in some of the earlier episodes, um, it's something I guess the three of us differ a little bit about. Um, we do it on our side. We 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 do adjust positions um, uh, while we're in a trade because we look at it more as an exposure to a market rather than a trade by trade basis. So we do adjust it based on changes in volatility and correlations, um, but. Again, does it make a huge difference compared to, um, you know, a a different approach where you have a more static position size? I I really don't know. I think it's it's a little bit about uh, your personal uh, preference, of course. But you're right. If you do, then your systems have to be able to handle um, a little bit more volume uh, in terms of commissions and and potential slippage, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Yeah. Any thoughts on from you, Jerry, on on the sort of the la- latter part of of uh, the questions from Carlos? Oh, I would. Well, uh, uh, see, I think I had more to say on the first part. Sure. I think that uh, I'm a broken record, you know, on this. Everything's going to just get back to sample size. So, whatever data you use, you know, you've got the entry, exit, stop loss, thousands of trades historically that you're adding up, and uh, so any uh, adding more data. Just be aware that that's uh, you're messing up a good thing, although it may not be messing up. It could be helping in making it turn ultra profitable. Uh, I would just say there's two different things with uh, <clears throat> position sizing, and the other thing I forgot what, what the term, but uh, there is portfolio weighting, uh, which should be constant and not ever changing. Uh, so we differ there because it's all about those trades and that sample size and not exposure but the trade all right broken record and then uh and but of course adjusting positions is based on volatility so i'll own 100 gold today maybe 50 gold tomorrow because of volatility when i do the trade the volatility has changed dramatically but gold is still a three percent uh, always a three percent uh allocation in my portfolio too so too much information sure. sorry sure <laughs> um Mart, any final thoughts on that otherwise we'll move on um to the next question but do you want to add anything no i think we uh we can move on sure. don't have anything to add there we'll move on to a very familiar topic because i think it's very much aligned with what uh, uh what we had uh, just a few minutes ago and it's again one of uh, a question for you uh jerry it's from walter And Walter says, I have a question for Jerry specifically. He's the only one that trades single stocks. And I believe I've heard him say it's through single stock futures, not cash equities. I was wondering on what exchange he trades these and how is the liquidity? I ask because I pull up Apple contract expiring 15th of March 2019, trading on the Chicago One Exchange on interactive brokers. I see that there have been no trades today and very little volume in the past couple of weeks, only a couple of contracts per day. I wonder if there's another exchange with more liquidity or if there's something I've been missing. So definitely an issue with how to trade these uh, single stock, Jerry. How can we help Walter with that? Is there an official exchange for these things? Or I feel like Bill Murray on Groundhog Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, one Chicago. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, it's the EFP process for stocks 
block trading, I still think does work. Okay. I think, isn't this something Moritz may know? Uh, isn't this similar? Can, does this sound similar to options trading sometime where the option hasn't yes. traded? It's now in the money. It wasn't in the money until just now. And if one puts a bid or an offer out there, the math whizzes will go to work and make you a market. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I can uh, maybe add to that. And um, just for the record, so in my trend following portfolio, I do not trade the single stock futures. I'm actually involved in single stock futures trading from an EFP point of view, so exchange for physical point of view and in cash enhancement uh, point of view in different types of things that I do, um, you know, for for the firm that I work for. So, um, for instance, one of the trades that I regularly do is called a cash and carry trade, whereby we'd be buying physical stock and that we will be selling a single stock future against that physical holding to create a hedge. Now that trade um, may be a yield enhancement trade, a cash enhancement trade compared to the interest rate that we'll be getting overnight on the cash if we just held it in the fund. So one of the reasons I do the trade. Um, where do I do the trades? I do them on Eurex and One Chicago. Those are the two largest exchanges for single stock futures. There's a third one um that's the Liffey in Europe and then there's a couple of ones in Asia uh, but I'm not trading on those the two largest ones one Chicago and Eurex and none of those exchanges have what is called screen liquidity so I think this is the issue that um, our listeners observe is if you go to and I don't know about interactive brokers but if you go to say a broker screen you type in the code the ticker uh, and you look for, you know, Apple March 15 expiration single stock futures, um, you have a look at the order book, you'll probably see that order book empty. Now, why is that? It's it's because it's not trading in the same way Apple stock is trading, where they have a deep order book, you know, many different levels. Um, it is a request market for all intents and purposes, meaning that, um, you know, the way I do it is, you know, you you, you have a voice order, you talk to a broker, you find out, you speak to different brokers, actually, you find out where levels are for the trade that you're looking to do. And then it is very often in combination with a physical trade, like the way I do it, right? And you have a repo trade, or you have an exchange for physical, you trade it, you, you agree the price, you agree the basis with your broker, and then it's crossed at the exchange at the end of the trading day, and the volume shows up delayed, not real time. Um, so it's, you know, it works different than your S&P E-mini or your Apple stock that you trade on NASDAQ. Um, and, but I think what Jerry said earlier is true. I've never tried it, but my hunch is that if you placed a limit order into the order book for the single stock futures contract you're interested in, and you, you know, place the limit relatively close to the market level, and you'll leave it there for a while. Um, you may have, you may, you may find that your uh, your trade gets done. So that's that's one of the things uh, that you know may be a good idea to try out. I've I've never done it myself, um, but uh, I I'd, I'd probably try that out um, to do it. Cool. So now we have an, <clears throat> another single stock future expert listeners yes not just me. yeah 
Exactly. Send your questions to Moritz and Terry. Okay, cool. Um, next question. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about options here. Um, and it's a question from Brian. Brian, thanks very much. Brian is a long-time listener. And Brian, um, I'm going to just paraphrase a little bit of part of the background, but he's referring essentially to part of the book um, uh, Trend Following with Managed Futures by Alex Grazerman and Katie Kaminsky. And he says in there, there is um, they talk about a, a, an option selling strategy and that actually that for a short period of time that, that those strategies might have better returns, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyways, um, then Brian goes on to say, I'm successfully using several trend-following option strategies for futures and equities, which is a decisive factor in my portfolio's profitability. My question to my three favorite trend followers, without giving away your secret sauce, do you use option strategies in your portfolios? If so, what are you comfortably sh uh, comfortable sharing regarding your strategy, research, and performance? The use of options, even spread, seems to be an efficient and affordable use of capital as well as profitable, especially for smaller re or for small retail investors. Brian, let me kick that off uh, from our side. We do use options, but not for trend following. So the only place we use options is within uh, a small sleeve of our strategy, which uh, trades volatility. And so we, um, within trading the, the, the volatility uh, component, uh, so the VIX, we also use options within that. But it's nothing to do with trend following in, in our case. So uh, so I can't really, on from our side, help you out with any tips or tricks uh, when it comes to how to use options um, with a trend-following uh, strategy. But certainly, it's doable, but I just don't have any 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 good stuff to say uh, about that, or relevant stuff, I should say. Moritz, uh, Jerry, any thoughts? Sure. I'd, um, you know, having having an options background um, for many, many years, I'd, I'd love to do that. The... Um, the problem I have with, or, you know, problem quote unquote is the availability of data and um, producing a meaningful sample size and, and good back tests. So historical options data um, for all the markets that I want to trade um, isn't easily obtainable. And sometimes the data that you can get is um, very, very noisy. Um, or, you know, you're looking at an option that hasn't traded for a while and then you know its settlement price is kind of stuck even though the market has moved i mean it's um it's it's not as easy as using the price of futures contracts to come up with a meaningful sample size uh onto which you can you know base your system on so now that that being the first thing secondly there aren't options markets for all of the markets that i trade so, you know, it will, if, if I wanted to just use options, it will certainly have a more limited universe of markets for me to trade because I just can't get options in every single, uh, single market that I want to have. And then, you know, it depends on how you want to use those options. You know, I think if you um, say you wanted to buy a call option because um, say you had a breakout to the upside, and you want to go long that call as opposed to going long the futures contract, you now have more dimensions to look at, right? We only have the price, so we buy the futures contract. But if you buy the call option, say, then 
um, you know, your trade becomes a function of time. I mean, what expiration are you going to pick? Are you going to choose, you know, one month expiration or two weeks, weekly, six months, something like that? Becomes a function of volatility, becomes a function of interest rates. There's all sorts of things now playing a role, right? You may be right on the trade, meaning price goes up and uh, maybe your call option still doesn't move because implant volatility goes down at the same time and, you know, you're not making the money. You know, maybe you want to, you know, buy a call spread or instead of, you know, instead of, you know, buying the futures contract and go long, you want to sell the put. That's a very risky thing to do. Anyway, it is a completely different thing, I believe, compared to what we do. And like I said, I'd love to explore it and, um, um, you know, think about it. But the problem I, I have to that present day is uh, availability of good data. Any thoughts from you, uh, Jerry? Uh, yeah, I don't trade options, number one. And it's from all that I've read, it's very difficult to be profitable trading options. Uh, selling them is profitable until it uh, blows up for most uh, people uh, or lots of people. The you know trend following itself has been called option replication. And then... then uh, so trend following is profitable, but options are not. So maybe it's we do try to replicate options, you know, unlimited upside and limited downside, and we don't have to pay the premium. So maybe that's where it's it's at. So um, yeah, data is important. Historical backtest that uh, futures data, stock data, in order to do that without using options is readily available. Uh, it's it's a whole different game. It's not what we do. But I yeah, love okay. the concept. God, what a great world it would be if we could pay that premium, which would represent our small loss, and then we would get all the benefits of trend following. Uh, we'd have less trades to do. Uh, <clears throat> it would just be so wonderful if it worked. Yeah. Next question. Thanks very much, uh, Brian, for that question. Uh, next question is from uh, Glenn. Um, and Glenn, I think uh, this question is more relating to sort of the execution side of, of what we do. Um, Glenn suggests that this may be, again, more relevant for, for uh, single stocks. Uh, but I'm thinking that maybe it's relevant to any kind of execution you really do. And I think... Um, the just the gist of the question is that you know if if you know instead of just buying outright whatever you need to do uh because uh, glenn says it's easy for him to sit in front and say i want to buy x amount of shares of this stock at this price uh or want to or i want to buy 500 contracts of y at these particular levels uh, but i and then he goes on to say but i'm on the opinion there is more to the execution of it than simply going long or going short. In your own experiences, is there a certain threshold that would require you to layer into a position over time? Uh, would this uh, entail placing an order with multiple brokers? Question mark. Uh, ultimately, I'm trying to get your thoughts and insights in regard of the actual execution of trades once your system indicates that a trade should in fact be made. So. From our side, Glenn, I can say that, again, we don't 
look at it so much uh, on a trade by trade basis. We we have signals that build up uh, the exposure overall to a certain market. So um, so in that sense, you could say that we do take we have multiple entry points and exit points in within each market, uh, and therefore we don't just even if our full position might end up being 500 contracts of something, we rarely, uh, or I would say almost never, would get a, a signal to go to a full position in the same day. So it takes a little bit of time for us to build up the position, and therefore you could say, yeah, it, it does get built up. Whether you need to m- use multiple brokers or not, um, uh, size, of course, is is one thing, but, but keep in mind, certainly in the futures world, not maybe not the single stock futures, but in the futures world, the markets are incredibly um, liquid, so uh, so we don't have an issue with executing our trades, and we monitor uh, liquidity very uh, closely uh, on all the markets we we trade. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, just going, you know, flipping a you know from a, a switch from being flat to long or flat to fully short, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I wouldn't recommend that. Generally speaking, I think you make yourself a little bit vulnerable to to going all in. Uh, on the same day, um, in terms of using a different uh, different brokers, uh, you may have to if it's less liquid markets. For, uh, for example, if you're just trading futures, probably not a big uh, big issue. But maybe Moritz and, and Jerry, you have some other thoughts uh, when it comes to single stocks, or, or maybe different opinions. Well, um, like I said, can't say uh, can't say on the single stocks, but um, the way you know I'm, I'm trading breakouts so um if there's a breakout then uh you know i'll have a level in the market um to trade there um i do split the trade into you know there's um a portion of the trade that's done at the breakout and then uh there's another portion of the trade that's done um at the settlement of the market so uh, i'm using those two time points and um i you know with the markets that i trade don't have any um, any issues uh, uh, getting those trades done, um, and you know I measure my slippage, and um, like uh, you know I, I I don't I don't the, the the size that we trade and that I trade it's it's not a problem in those markets. Definitely um, in favor of systematically uh, rule having rules that do their best to space the trades out, not do them all in one day. Some of these markets like cocoa and bean oil, when I was trading $2 billion, you know, you need to take a week, you know, just try to get an average good fill and not spook the market too much. Uh, the market can get really spooked. Even the mini S&Ps can get cr- crazy crashing sometimes. So you uh, need to exercise some discretion on getting that trade done. So uh, just look at the even though I would try to get it done as quickly as possible, sometimes it's not possible. And I would look at it as uh, still a trade, but it's it's not a magic. The computer tells you, you know, buy at this price. It's just you have the parameters in there, so it's going to be very consistent. Every time it hits that parameter, it's going to tell you to buy. It's not a magic formula. So if you have to take a little while to spread it out or get it done, not a big deal, probably. Yeah. Great, great question, uh, Glenn. Thanks very much for that. Final question uh, this week is uh, from Keith. 
and this is a little bit to do, I think, about how we kind of implement new capital um, with signals, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the question goes like this. Can you talk about the process of getting a new system up and running? Did you just start with cash and only invest as new signals came in? Or did you immediately open positions in all securities that were on a buy signal? I guess it could be short signal as well. So that's maybe, I guess, for if we're trying to implement something new um, in our in our systems uh, or in our models, portfolios. Um, and then um, Keith goes on to say, also, can you talk about how positions are adjusted as new money comes into the portfolio? Are only new signals taken with a bigger size or are existing positions increased? Jerry, why don't we start with you on this one? How do you normally do things when you have these issues? Uh, I think we would like to get everyone in line as quickly as possible. I mean, just uh, we, we trade mostly just one f uh, couple of funds, so people know what they're getting into. Uh, <clears throat> and so we want to uh, make additions and make uh, trade level adjustments based upon the additions and redemptions because the position changes as you know as quickly as as reasonably po uh, possible and uh, so yeah we just go ahead and do it and like I said I think uh, last week or a few weeks ago if you're inter if you're worried about things like this then uh, the client should piece in their million dollar investment or hundred thousand dollar investment over time you know and spread it out over days or months or weeks and then uh, it's probably pr a pretty good idea to realize. Uh, you know, the next time we're all up 20 or 30 percent, uh, at some point in time, we'll have lots of open trade positions that we're going to be more uh, flexible with versus our stop losses. So we that could be we could be up 30 one day and then uh, but when the trends end, we'll still be up 20. Everyone will be happy except uh, the recent uh, investors. So they need to know that and figure that out. Uh, is there a lot of open is there a lot of open trade equity exposure? Yeah. What about you, Moritz? How do you, uh, if you implement a new model, for example, into your portfolio, do you go uh, all in on the day you start or do you go slow? Pretty much go all in. So I think we uh, touched on the um, subscription and redemption question in a prior episode, and I agree with Jerry on that. It's important to get people in line. Um, now, as far as implementing a new model is concerned, so let's just take the example that I'm coming up with a um, an additional, you know, trend following trading system that you know works in a slightly different way, and I've determined that it makes sense to add it to the portfolio and trade it alongside the existing systems because it's adding diversification. Then you know, I will have done research to come to the conclusion that I want to go live with that system. And then, you know, I really want to follow the equity curve and the PL stream of that system as soon as I can and as closely as I possibly can. So, you know, I don't see any reason for delaying entries or exits or going slowly in into that system. You know, I'll probably try to get it uh, and I've, I've always done it that way. Um, try to get it, you know, live um, as soon as I can because you know I've made the decision that this is a good thing to do, um, and so yeah, I want to do it and do it as precisely as I can. So um, you know, I go uh, live with it uh, within you know day two or three. 
Absolutely, and I can only say, Keith, that I completely agree with both Jerry and Moritz on this point. Um, In order to treat investors uh, fairly uh, and in order to track your new model accurately, I think you need to implement, uh, you know, these things, um, you know, in in the same day. So that wraps up these questions. Um, Thanks very much, Antonio and Seth and... Carlos and Walter and Brian and Glenn and Keith for uh, all of these uh, questions. And um, I think also we had a question from Dave, of course, or a comment at least. So thanks so much, everyone, uh, for that. And keep them coming to info at toptradersandplug.com. Now, in terms of uh, performance, as we start slowly to wrap up, um, we talked earlier on that it was a good week for uh, the three uh, approaches that we run. Let's see if the industry agrees. Um, so the beta 50 index, and this is as of Thursday, um, numbers 7th of, 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 of March, 7th of March. I think Friday was a bit of a down day, so just be aware of that. But anyways, as of Thursday evening, beta 50 index up close to 2%, now up for the year, uh, 60 basis points. SockGen CT index up a little bit more than 2% for the month, uh, up uh, 56 basis points for the uh, year. SockGen trend index uh, up 3% pretty much for the month and up half a percent for the year. Uh, the SockGen short-term traders index up uh, 1.44%, still down for the year, down 1.34%. And then the Bridge Alternatives Index uh, up 2.6% for the month of March, um, but still down 1.84% for the year. Um, what else, gents, do you want to bring up uh, as we start to wrap up this conversation the usual happy trading of course do you remember yours no, jerry i don't no. i forgot something with, the, with the rules something with the rules isn't it yep follow the rules. follow the rules yeah. follow your system that's your bottom line it's perfect <laughs> you can't improve upon it <laughs> that's, that's for right. sure that's good. you may need to improve it but yeah. random emotional trades no good absolutely on that note Again, thanks so much for staying with us uh, this week and we hope to uh, uh, see you next week, of course. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Um, keep sending the questions uh, to info at toptradersonplug.com uh, or send us a tweet. And of course, make sure you subscribe to the uh, podcast and the channel on YouTube so you know uh, every time we publish something new. And of course, as I always would remind you, if you felt you got some value from today's conversation, we really would like to uh, share these episodes with your your followers and the people that you interact with. Um, so we would be grateful if you would leave us a rating and review in iTunes. They are the dominant player in this world. So uh, it really does help us and other investors to discover the Systematic Investor Series. From Jerry, Moritz, and me, thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review, and be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com, and we'll try to get it on the show. 
And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.